at least I can say I have not seen all of three other Transformers movies. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's you true. two can't say that, can you? No, I've no. seen all of them in theaters, every single one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me, me too. You are but enablers, see- enablers. Welcome to episode 95 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about explosions, bad filmmaking, cliches, misogyny, and more. We're recording on Wednesday, July the 2nd, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today, we have not one, but two recurring guests with us today, and that is Clark Douglas and Mikey Fizzle. How are you guys? Good. Swell. Excellent. Are you guys ready to... Um, absolutely destroy a movie today. (laughs) (sighs) Well, that's tough because I was actually thinking all day today in preparation for this podcast that I feel like because the feelings against this movie are so strong that I'm going to try to be a voice of pseudo reason. And it's going to sound like I'm defending a movie that I still think is bad Mm. because I'm going to try not to go over the top with my, with my criticism. What, so. about, what about you, Clark? Will you will you unite with me on a quest to stop Is from <laughs> doing this thing? Uh, as somebody who thinks that Michael Bay has a handful of genuine attributes, um, I, I will try to point out some of the movie's better qualities. But yeah, anytime I start talking about it, it inevitably turns into something <laughs> of an angry rant. So I'll probably not succeed too well in defending him. Okay. Well, well, well. There is a preview of things to come further later on in the podcast. But um, as as is always the case, when there is Star Wars news, uh, in, on this podcast at least, it must be discussed. And the latest news, uh, Chad and I talked about uh, the injury that um, uh, Han Solo, what's his name, Harrison, <laughs> Harrison Ford, received um, on the set of uh, Star Wars uh, Seven. And uh, there was a rumor at that time that uh, he would not, be, uh, he would he would be out of commission for quite a while. And there was a rumor that that they were not going to move the release date because of it. Um, and the last we looked, uh, last time I looked at the rumor, it was like he was going to be out of commission for six months. He had broken some major bones and uh, from the injury. Uh, well, apparently, Latino Review is reporting uh, that producer Kathleen Kennedy and director J.J. Abrams are looking for a May 4, 2016 release date, but Disney honcho Bob Iger is still saying no. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, so, that, yeah, that's it. That's basically the news. I was looking for something relevant, but I think that's it. So, um, my, my position here is that I wish they would move the release of the film because I'd rather the film be good and I'd rather have a good Star Wars film for a change than for them to rejigger the script real quick in order to get rid of Han Solo. Yeah, and I, I understand that um, Han Solo actually plays a fairly prominent role uh, in the script, that it's not just kind of a sort of loving cameo or something like that, that it's a really significant part. So I think that that's something that you, you know, need to make sure you get. Uh, It it would be such a shame if they just decided to kind of write him out of it or write a lot of his role out of it for the sake of hitting a theatrical release window. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Clark. Uh, Fizz, what about you? Well, here's the thing. In a perfect world, I would love for that to be the case. I would love for them to push it back to make a better movie. But there's this thing that's going to happen. And there's these things that the producers are not going to want to miss out on. And that's, you know, for the longest time, summer movies have been where it's at. 
That's like that's where you put the movies that you're going to make tons and tons of money on. But as of late, uh, I believe starting with Lord of the Rings, this December time slot for uh, yearly movies has come out. And Lord of the Rings did that and made a you know caboodles of money. And then uh, the Harry Potter franchise kind of picked up on some of those uh, December release dates and made right. caboodles of money. Right. And now uh, the Hunger Games basically sits in that spot. And the thing is, the last Hunger Games movie is going to come out, I believe, the year before and leave a big gaping void in this December blockbuster People start seeing it at the beginning of December and watching it all through the holidays, and it you know just makes all the money in the world. And you basically get not you get you get Oscar type film competition, which Oscar movies aren't really about making money; they're about winning awards. And uh, by moving this to May fourth, you actually have like similar blockbustery type movies to compete against. And they don't they want this to be the Lord of the Rings of December. They want they they want to start putting these out in December making tons of money and making uh, December synonymous with, you know, star Wars seven, star Wars eight and star Wars nine. And I think that's going to trump anything else. Right. This is going to be the thing that that sits there for two or three months while stuff like the King's speech Two comes and goes. So basically you guys are saying that uh, you think that none of these decisions will be guided at all by anything artistic, but it'll be purely the um, money that's rattling in their pockets. Well, if if memory serves, didn't they already push the release date back uh, once on this movie uh, a, a long yes. while back at the production process? It was, yeah, it was originally a summer movie. Uh, I think Disney is just um, impatient at this point. They they want that Star Wars money as soon as possible. They're counting on it. They've got it in their projections, and uh, they're not going to let something as insignificant as artistic or storytelling concerns get in the way of that. <laughs> we, so. yes. we purchased Lucasfilm. Now give us a movie already. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. speaking of speaking of Michael Bay films and Transformers, this is exactly what we're going to be talking about. You know, we as people who appreciate art, as people who appreciate good story, we want them to be able to be budged for artistic reasons. But that's not what making movies is often about. Especially at at that level, I mean, at that level, it's about making money. I, I agree that there if, needs to be a balance, but look, man, if if they put this movie out in May and it turns out to be kind of like uh, like Captain America money, where it makes like six hundred and fifty million dollars or seven hundred million dollars, they're probably going to consider that a failure for a Star Wars movie. That this movie has to make like a billion dollars, and if it doesn't, they're probably going to think something wrong happened with it. So whatever maximizes the money is what they're going to do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, that's that's why I think we like some of these smaller films sometimes. You know, is because they they tend to be a little more artistic, and you've you've really got the the gears rolling here. I think you're probably right that I don't think that Iger is there's a chance that he's going to let this uh, this release date slip, and and that means that they're going to sacrifice the integrity of the story, which really just kind of sucks. Well, I think when you put this much money into a movie that. Even if Harrison Ford is out for six months, I still think you can make this movie and get it done in time. Like you just pay people to work around the clock and get it done. Like I said, it's that level for Disney. They didn't buy Lucasfilm to maybe come out with some Star Wars thing. They basically <laughs> bought right. Luca. They bought Lucasfilm, and they're coming out with like a TV series, another TV series, an offshoot movie, an origin movie. You know, these three next trilogy. You know, they are they are 
you know, all in on Star Wars. Well, and, and that's, and, you know, that's interesting that you say that. I, I completely agree that, that this is a big bet for Disney, that, that they bought the, you know, Lucasfilm and the four Star Wars, and this is the, you know, this is their thing. That's why I think it's really important to get it right. And if they need to let the release date slip, they need to do that in order to get it right. But yeah, we, we, we looked at their, look at the, or the, the prequels. They didn't get anything right, and it still made tons of money. Um, now, hopefully they don't want that legacy. We're hoping, yeah. but they still made tons of money and they were terrible movies because people are going to go see Star Wars stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, well, I, I, I don't want to interrupt too. Clark, but well, uh, I, 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 this probably isn't the best time or place to get into a prequels debate. I do think those movies have some merits. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I mean, I do too, but not a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're not on the level of the original trilogy there that, that would be ridiculous, but, uh, they do have some some good qualities, but um, one thing I had heard—I wasn't sure if this is the case or not—but is Harrison Ford really out for for six months? Because I had heard a figure more like eight weeks. We don't know. Uh, okay. There there was a figure floating around eight weeks, and then the next thing, the last one that I that I posted somewhere on Movie Byte, um, it was six months. And and who oh. knows? That sound that sounds like the rumor mill getting out of control, but. Whatever you know. Well, I tell you what you do is you go to Harrison Ford's hospital room. Uh, you replace his hospital bed sheets with green sheets, <laughs> and you see where I'm going here. You just kind of take it from there. Let him do his acting from his bed, then just CGI around him. There you go, <laughs> Star Wars movie. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not the type of. I don't want a phoned-in performance. Luke's like Han. Why are you lying down all the time? Look, <laughs> I'll get up when I'm good and ready in the last act. Okay. Until then, I'm just gonna chill because I'm cool like that. Not because, because I'm hurt. Yeah, because Han sat first. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know if they're gonna let him wear his earring in the movie, but oh no, they're not. They always make him take that thing out. Okay. I don't know. This is the future. Star Wars might be more progressive. I know. Well, I mean, he didn't. <laughs> so. He didn't have it, you know, in, in the as if, unless I'm mistaken. He don't I, think he had it when they did the original Star Wars. I, I, if memory yeah. serves, I don't think I've seen him wear the earring like in a you know in a regular role uh, mm-hmm. in anything. I don't think so. I've never seen mm-hmm. it. I've never seen. I've only seen him with it outside of movies. Well, it's because it hasn't been cool since like 1992. No, it really hasn't. (laughs) And even then, you know, and the same could be said of Harrison Ford. No, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Well, I like Harrison Ford. Yeah, we should move on. And and Mike, Mikey, you're gonna you're gonna love this one, uh, I think, or at least part of it. Uh, And that is that Pacific Rim Two is set for 2017, and and there's an animated series coming. How do how do you feel about these two bits of information? Well, I mean, I am. I'm very excited. There's going to be Pacific Rim too. I have no idea what kind of story they're going to pull out of it. And the same thing we're talking about Star Wars. You know, I would rather this. You know, I would rather. I want. A, I want a Pacific Rim too. But I would rather it come out in 2017, 2018, if it has to. If if we can get enough of a story to make it as good as the first one. Spo- um, spoiler alert for Pacific Rim. Here we go. How are they going to make Pacific Rim without uh, two without Idris Elba? Mm. That that is one of the sadder moments. Like when <laughs> when I knew that he was dying in Pacific Rim, I said, "If there's ever Pacific Rim two, it's not going to be quite as cool because he won't be in it." But <sighs> I, I still I, I, I still think it would be as long as Guillermo del Toro is putting his artistic touch on it. I think it's going to be worth seeing. Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It needs to be a prequel. Well. <laughs> <laughs> It could be cool, but I think it would be it would be uh, pulling from the same bin a little little too obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they did just kind of rush a over a lot of sort of uh, conflict that had apparently taken place before the movie really gets going. 
but um, I think a prequel would be a mistake, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm I have slightly mixed feelings about this news because I did enjoy Pacific Rim. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, at the same time, I, I know that this is going to take a good two or three years of Guillermo del Toro's life, mm-hmm. and I think he's such an interesting and distinctive filmmaker. I I kind of hate to see him sort of falling into kind of a a big noisy franchise because while I like Pacific Rim and I'm sure I'll enjoy Pacific Rim too. Uh, I'd much rather see him doing stuff like Pan's Labyrinth mm-hmm. or the Hellboy movies or some of the other stuff that he's done that's just so so distinctive and unique. Um, I, I'd much rather have something like that from him. Well, I mean, speaking of the Hellboy movies, I mean, he's got Ron Perlman still for, for Pacific Rim 2, so mm-hmm. you know, yes. it can't be all bad, right? That's true. <laughs> well, and that's part of the thing about this. I think that he is probably going to give kind of creative direction to the TV show or the cartoon which I, I don't know if it will be actually be any good, but you know I think he'll he'll kind of spin that and give it to someone and, and let them run with it, and so he'll just have to work on this one movie. But I mean, he's already doing lots of other things too. He's got a TV show that's coming out soon. If it hadn't already come out, uh, uh, the Strain. Gosh. Yeah, the Strain. Yeah, um, which I'm really interested in. I mean, basically, you know, Guillermo del Toro is one of those people right now that if he puts something out, I'll at least give it my attention. Or at least give it the chance to to grab my attention, and so I don't think I don't think putting a movie out is going to completely cut him off from other creative projects. I think he's to that point now where he's 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 got a an ability and a, probably a team around him that kind of share his creative vision that he doesn't have to do everything. He just kind of has we, to come in and say, "Nope, make it better." <laughs> <laughs> do, do we know what kind of um, animation style we'll be getting from the animated series? Or no idea. Because yeah, it just it it strikes me as the sort of thing that would work really well in kind of a Japanese style anime, as opposed to like you know kind of cheap made for TV sort of CG animation. Well, mm-hmm. as it so happens, the but, film has a pretty close connection to uh, that uh, that culture anyway. The right, Japanese culture. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking that would that would work, and that's kind of the look they went for. I don't know if either of you saw the uh, Hellboy animated films um, that I they made. Not. Okay, but they're actually pretty good, and they have kind of a, a Japanese-style sort of anime kind mm. of look, and it worked really well. Yeah, the animated part of this news is the one I'm not so sure about. I, I mean, I suppose it could be good. I just, I don't yeah. know. I've, I've not had a affinity for, well, I, I say that, and then I think, well, Pixar is animated. And I don't, but the thing is, I don't think of Pixar as animated films, if that makes any sense. It's weird. My mind has categorized it as something else, but, they, I mean, they are animated films. I mean, they're definitely in a league of their own. Yeah. Uh, I guess when I think of anime, I'm I, I'm still of the you know because of you know the era in which I grew up. When I think of an animated film, I still think of you know Disney hand drawn you know ever growing ever more angular animation, <laughs> um, and uh, that's probably ob- obviously not going to be the case here. So it could be good. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, moving on. Um, Frank Darabont to direct Snow White and the Huntsman 2. Kirsten, uh, Kristen Stewart may not return. This is according to the playlist. Um, uh, oh, there's an update. Uh, THI reports that the uh, spinoff. Oh, I guess I did pay. I, I knew about this. Uh, that the spinoff is now titled The Huntsman and Chris Hemsworth and Charlize Theron will return. I'm not sure how that's going to work. Spoiler alert for <laughs> Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, but not Kristen Stewart. Uh, and that Frank Darabont will be directing. What, what, what did you guys, uh, Clark, what did you think of Snow White and the Huntsman? I thought Snow White and the Huntsman was surprisingly good. Um, mm. I, I had a rather good time with it. Uh, I haven't really been a big fan of the whole kind of gritty fairy tale reboot trend in recent years, but I, I do think that's one that did it pretty well. 
Um, I thought it had a lot of good ideas. It had some good performances. I loved kind of the the midsection um, with the dwarves, just some kind of uh, stunning visuals in that stretch of the movie. Not not a perfect film, but one that I wound up enjoying a lot more than I expected to. Yeah, same here. And probably the best performance I've seen from Kristen Stewart, at least in a big movie like that. Yeah, I tend to think Kristen Stewart is a little bit underrated. I'm not saying she's awesome or great, but I just tend to think she falls prey to uh, a kind of an over-hyperbolization of, I agree. of her acting. But I agree. She's not terrible. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Fizz? Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you... How did I know? <laughs> I, maybe because you've seen Kristen Stewart try to act before and... It, deep down, you knew the truth <laughs> that it was just a, a bunch of conic looks and size, and that was somehow supposed to be her character. You left you, out the lip bites. Yeah, so. mm. that's you a should, crucial part. Oh, what is it? I think it's the everything wrong with like Twilight or whatever, and just mm-hmm. has like, like, like minutes and minutes of Kristen Stewart making noises instead of saying lines. <laughs> it's, uh, it's. I mean, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, I, I liked. Snow White and the Huntsman, okay, but it was more visually than it was for story. I just didn't, it didn't really do a whole lot for me. And and the fact that there's going to be a second one, you know, I will probably that, not even see it. That really surprises me, actually. Knowing the way you like to evaluate films, and you have a podcast dedicated to the theological evaluation of films, and there is a lot to chew on in this film. That surprises no, it, me. There's lots of There's lots of movies that have a lot to chew on that I still don't like as a film. I just don't think... I just don't think it's a very good movie from like where I stand. Not that, I mean, I think I could do a real, I could do a real world theology on this transformers movie because there's technically a lot to chew on. They don't develop any of it very well, but um, I, I, could, so I, guess, I could, I could do one. I guess on you're it. saying you can chew on gristle a long time too. You can't, I mean like that's what, every story as, as bad as it's told is trying to say something. And if nothing else, why we would want to go see Transformers in the first place is enough to want to talk about, which is what we're probably going to talk about. Uh, here yeah, for sure. I mean, so, you always, you always hope when you go to a movie that, that you'll, if you're, if you're expecting it to be bad, you're hoping you'll be surprised. I think you yeah. you said that Clark, maybe not mm-hmm. here. Yeah. But yeah I, I, I do. I mean, I'm always, no matter how bad I think a movie is going to be, I'm always hoping it'll at least offer something that'll make it, you know, worth seeing or uh, something that'll stand out and improve things a bit. Right, and I would agree. I mean, and that's how I felt about Snow White and the Huntsman. I, I really thought it was going to be pretty bad, but like I said, visually I was really engaged with the film. I just didn't really specifically care for any of the characters, but I could definitely see um, how it would work for some people. I have to say too, uh, all feelings about Kristen Stewart aside, I think the idea of a Snow White and the Huntsman sequel without Snow White is nonsense. I, I completely uh, agree. That's where I was going to go next. Is, is what what the heck? Why, how do you have Snow White and the Huntsman? I mean, you retitle it, you you remove Snow White from the title, but that's just crazy. Right. It's called And the Huntsman too. And it's really, <laughs> I mean, it's because they have Chris Hemsworth locked into a big franchise that's already been established that they're trying. I, I get the sort of studio logic, but um, from a storytelling perspective, it makes no sense. Yeah, I don't know where in the world they can take this. And and I agree that the Huntsman is possibly maybe a, a, a more interesting character than Snow White in some way. But I think it was the pairing of the Huntsman and Snow White that made the film as good as it was and, and made it what was enjoyable. I don't think either character works by themselves. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of where I'm approaching this from. And and, and I, I did enjoy quite a bit more than you, Fizz, it sounds like, Snow White and the Huntsman. Again, not that it was a perfect film, 
but that it was quite enjoyable. And and certainly, I, I even though I I tend to defend Kristen Stewart a little bit, I don't I don't want to overstate my case. But but um even so, I think this is probably the best performance I've seen her in. Um, so uh, in in the first in, in Snow White and the Huntsman, yeah, I I don't know, I. I, I'm just not excited at all about this Huntsman sequel thing. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. Although I do like Frank Darabont. I mean, he's he's a talented guy, but this seems like a poor use of his time. Yeah. Do, now, do you think, do you guys think that uh, Kristen Stewart would have been in this film had it not been for the scandal with the previous director? Yes. Yeah. Pretty, you're pretty, pretty sure about that? I'm I'm fairly positive about that. I think it's that whole sort of lingering scandal that's sort of hanging over the franchise that's probably keeping her away from it as you were giving a noise of dissent i heard it i don't know i just kind of figured she probably yeah like this is all conjecture so i, I mean i don't know sure i just so she strikes here. she strikes me as the kind of person that'd be like i'm too big for this now i'll choose my own roles you know i just don't i don't know uh, <laughs> not a big Christian Stewart a, fan. you know though knowing the way the media operates uh if she does do snow white and the huntsman too and when the time to promote the movie comes out, everybody's going to drag that story up again and ask her about it. And I mean, who really wants to endure several months of questions about that? No, I mean, uh, when you can sure. just go do something else and let it die away. Yeah, if you can't do something else, then I definitely say that. If not, then if someone pays me a couple million dollars, then I will gladly endure those questions for a couple <laughs> months. <laughs> so. There is that. There is that. But she does have the Twilight residuals, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah so. well, I mean, I, I don't think she's hurting for any money. So. No. Yeah. All right, well, with those three items, I think we're going to start moving towards our actual topic, even though technically this link is up in the items of interest portion of our outline. But um, it, they're starting to be related to Transformers more, and uh, that is uh, this article on Slash Film, which I actually just saw a little bit ago uh, because I, I've been so busy. I, it's, it was posted yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to read it. But Michael Bay and Transformers producer on why critics hate Michael Bay. I just want to read you just a little excerpt here uh, where um, the question is asked, Transformers Age of Extinction is going to make a ton of money. Are these movies critic-proof? Do you care about the reviews? To which the uh, producer responds, or was it the producer? Uh, yes. Producer. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. His name is Lorenzo. Well, first of all, I think every filmmaker cares what critics think because, you know, we're being judged. You're being judged. I think if someone says they don't care, baloney. Does it affect the gross of the movie? Probably a little bit, but I think the problem with critics and the big movies in general is they don't understand the format, so they're judging it against the kind of movie experience that it's not trying to do, nor should it. What I mean is it's like they're locked into, like, okay, let's compare this to a Martin, Marty Scorsese, he says Marty, Marty Scorsese movie or a two-hour drama. To which the interviewer responds, I don't know about that. Critics like the latest Captain America movie a lot which I say, burn! <laughs> um, so he responds, but my experience with the critics is that when they like a big movie, it's because they're afraid they're going to go, so, they're going to so go against the tide that they act like they liked it. That's my opinion. Mm. Um, discuss. <laughs> I think he's completely wrong. Delusional? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, and I mean... I. I don't know. Maybe this is just because uh, I'm somebody who's sort of immersed in the world of film criticism, and maybe he isn't. He's on the filmmaking side of things, so it feels different to him. Right. But I, I really don't think that uh, film critics are particularly <laughs> afraid of going against the grain when it comes to stuff. If anything, it's the opposite. There no are kidding. a lot of critics who I think like to start stuff 
by uh, going against the grain because they know it'll get them, you know, more attention. It, it's but, a more odd phenomenon that it's a, a, a more common phenomenon than not when the, the tomato meter shows that the critics are the polar opposite of the the audience. I mean, you it, when they're when they're when they're not at the polar opposite, you go, oh, that's interesting. The the crowd, the audience, and the critics liked it. Yeah, those are, are fairly rare things where where audiences and critics love a big movie together. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of instances, too, where maybe critics like a big blockbuster. Uh, say, like Edge of Tomorrow, for instance, a lot of critics really liked that movie because uh, it was smart and, you know, a little more yeah. well-crafted than the yeah. average blockbuster in a lot of ways. And I certainly liked it. Yeah, but audiences in general, though weren't crazy about it. It right. wasn't much of a hit and, you know, they they found it I guess a little too cerebral or something. Yeah. But uh that divide well, no, exists. The, well, the audience liked it. People just haven't gone to see it. Well, the audience yeah. that's seen it has liked it. But the, yeah. the point is it's having trouble getting any traction. Yeah. That seems like more like a marketing problem instead of like people not seeing it. Because, I mean, Edge of, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, for example, has a 90% critic rating, but has a 92% audience rating. It's one of those anomalies. So it's yeah. just like I talked to a guy today and he was like, what's your favorite summer movie you've seen? I was like, Edge of Tomorrow. He's like, I haven't even heard of that. I was like, have you not heard of Edge of Tomorrow? Hmm. He's like, well, I went to see X-Men. I was like, yeah. well, X-Men was good, but I like Edge of Tomorrow a little bit more. I mean, and this is someone who likes sci-fi movies, uh, you know, likes futuristic type stuff like that and done well. And I was like, have you not heard about this movie? Well, and you know, I think you're right about the marketing thing, too, because I saw the trailer for it and it looked like kind of your Tom Cruise action thriller of the year sort of just filler. Mm. And Mm -hmm. uh, then I started reading some reviews and people were saying it was really smart and worthwhile. And I was like, okay, well maybe I will have to check this out. And yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. Well, I I want to kind of go back to the the critic thing too. I I noticed I was, I was already planning to see transformers. Um, And I remember reading early reviews for transformers and it certainly felt like, everybody who wrote a review for transformers already wrote their review for transformers before they saw the movie. Like there was a competition, like the, the thing with the critics, especially like on rotten tomatoes or whatever, it mm. looked like everyone went out of their way to save their most creative line for how bad transformers was <laughs> like three months ago. And they were just waiting to write it. Um, I suppose, because, but but I, I feel like Michael Bay has brought this upon himself. Well, and that's the other thing: people who want to make a name for themselves. Uh, like I think we would, I think we would all generally agree because you guys have said this, and and I like I said I would agree with that. Is that most of the time you want a critic will go against the grain just to make a name for himself, or just right. to stir controversy, or get page hits, or you know whatever that whatever medium they're in. But I mean, how many critics do you know would go would say would say pro Michael Bay things right now? I don't know any, even for, even for page hits. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And I mean, there, there are a few positive reviews out there, but I, one of the most insightful things I read about the criticism of this movie was from, uh, the film critic drew McWeeny over at hit fix. Uh, he wrote that, and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember the exact quote, but he wrote something to the effect of uh, a lot of critics are essentially going to be reviewing this movie, uh, primarily to entertain other critics with how just sort of, snarkily entertaining they can be about Michael Bay. And he thought that was a shame because even though Transformers is a really bad movie and he didn't like it, uh, he didn't feel that enough people were really taking time to give it a serious critical examination and just sort of writing kind of generic Michael Bay hate pieces. Yeah. Which I think is fair. Uh, There there is a lot of that out there. 
Well, and that's what I would say when you when you're when someone comes and asks you, they interview you and say, how do you feel about your critics response? I think that's what the producer is trying to say. I don't think he says it very well because he also puts this other piece to it that says, I think people are judging us against, you know, something that we're not trying to be. And and this is I think a conversation, TJ, you and I have had on this podcast before. Like there's two ways that I typically evaluate movies. There's like. How good was this movie? Like, how well was it made? How well does it convey the story? You know, like, as a piece of art, how how well is this? And that's usually what I derive my star rating from. But then there's, how much did I enjoy this movie for what it was trying to be? And, and I, the one I always go back to is Starship Troopers. You know, Starship Troopers is not a good movie from an artistic standpoint. But it entertains me. Independence Day, even Michael Bay's Armageddon, like they are not very good movies, but I will watch them. Um, And I know, but I know exactly what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be an over the top, ridiculous or silly movie. And they 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 do that. And And I'm okay with that. I think there really is such a thing as a great, big, stupid movie. I I, I think those exist. But, um, you know. Uh, a lot of them just are big, stupid movies, big, and that's the movies, extent of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so going back to what you said, Fizz, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I really have to ask, like, do you really think critics are evaluating uh, something like uh, Captain America, which the critics really liked, against, uh, uh, you know, a good Martin Scorsese pick? I mean, they're they're evaluated totally differently, even if the critics liked, you know, this thing from Martin Scorsese, say, uh, Goodfellas or something. And, and then you've got... Um, uh, Captain America, which critics also really like. I, I don't feel like that's really as much the problem. No, but that's the thing. Captain America is a well-made movie with a coherent story and strong characters. Like it's a good movie. Agreed. Not, <laughs> not, but and that's all. That's what Goodfellas is. Goodfellas is a well-made movie with strong characters that's well done. So it doesn't matter what the tone of the film is. It matters if it if it's a good. Well, I keep wanting to not use the term good movie, but it, it's. It's a well-done movie. Captain America is a well-done movie. Mm-hmm. Edge of Tomorrow is a well-done movie. Um, there are, I mean, Transformers is not a well-done movie. That you know, the story's fairly incoherent. You can't keep track of it. It's long. You know, the you don't care about any of the characters. You don't care about any of the Transformers. And the, but it's not. You're not supposed to really, based on how they're making the movie. So. It, it needs to be judged in kind of a different way. Like, like I said, Armageddon, Starship Troopers, these movies, Independence Day. Everyone loves watching Independence Day. There are very few people I know who don't enjoy watching Independence Day. But Independence Day's characters are all over the top. The plot doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's like so many deuce ex machinas in that movie that like it should actually have never been made from like plot holes. But people enjoy watching it for what it is. It was supposed to be a huge summer blockbuster that, that you could turn your brain off and just sit back and enjoy Will Smith, uh, you know, saying crazy things. And that's exactly what you got. Well, call you me, know? call me consistent then. Cause I don't really, I don't like that film. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like so if I gave independence day, a star rating, you know, I would be, I would probably give it somewhere, you know, like a, Three, three and a, three and a half, maybe and stars. You're, that's really maybe. generous. Really and I know, generous. And, and I think that's I think that's pretty generous as far as a film goes. But like, if I flip to you know, as, of will I watch this movie at any time of the day? If I find it on TV, I would give it five stars because that's how that's how many times <laughs> I would stop and watch that movie, no matter what's I, on. I can't say that for the whole movie, but I will definitely stop and watch Bill Pullman's speech uh, every single time I see it on TV. Hmm. And it's not that great of a speech. It's, it's so not, corny. but it's the music and the exactly. fervor of his delivery. Yeah. So like I said, I think you need to, <laughs> or well, like I said, I, so it's really hard. And I think most people don't do this 
Um, and there's not really a hard, it's not a really easy way to quantify it, especially as a critic, when you have to say, you know, you have to recommend movies to other people. It's like, yes, this, this movie was not done very well, but I think you will enjoy it if you enjoy this type of movie, yeah. you know, or this movie was done exceptionally well, but it's really kind of dark in tone and I don't think it's your cup of tea, you know? So like, it's, it's hard to be, a, it, it can be really hard to be a good critic. I think it's really easy to be a bad, or like uh, a lazy critic. And that leads us into Transformers. <laughs> well, I just wanted to mention one more thing. Uh, and, and I put uh, in the, um, kind of in the parentheses of the title of this link. Uh, well, so the link is Michael Bay doesn't care about Transformer haters. And then I put in parentheses or how we're enabling the madness. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so basically, Michael Bay said this goes hand in hand with what we just talked about. But uh, he said about his critics, they love to hate, and I don't care. Let them hate. Uh, they're still going to see the movie. I think it's good to get a little tension. Very good. So in other words, he's just he's just laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> well, this is something I was saying to my friend. I th- actually, I said it to you too, TJ. Like, everyone's like, "Oh, I got to see Transformers. I can't believe Michael Bay is making another Transformers movie. I can't believe they're coming out with this dribble. I can't believe they're making them. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Yep, it sucks." That's me. And I mean, but that's not just you. That's like everybody. And yet more people went to see this movie. Somebody's seeing these films, you know? So I was like, it's, it's exactly like when you're, you know, your, your preacher goes over to your house and you, and you hide all your liquor, you know, everyone knows you. Drink. I don't, by the way. Well, I mean, I know in your specific case, but like, <laughs> let's think of like a Baptist situation or whatever, you know, like this is, this is the, the pastor comes over and you, you know, you hide your liquor or whatever. You pretend like you don't do things that you're going to do. Everyone's bashing Michael Bay. Everyone says he hates him, but all those same people are probably in the, in the theater on Friday, Saturday or Sunday watching this movie because there's no other way that this movie makes, uh, like $381 million. Mm. Right. And I mean, over the weekend, I saw a dozen Facebook posts about how stupid the new Transformers movie was. And they were all by people who went to go see the movie. Like us. And had seen, yeah, like us. We're in that group too. And, uh, you know, these were all people who had seen all three of the other Transformers movies and thought they were awful and thought Michael Bay is awful. At least I can say I have not seen all three other Transformers movies. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you true. two can't say that, can you? No, I've no. seen all of them in theaters, every single one. Uh, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> you are but enablers, see, enablers. Yeah, but know. see that you don't like the first Transformers movie, and that's the problem, TJ. I think the first Transformers movie is perfectly fine. And see, I um, did. Okay. I thought the first Transformers movie was bad, and I still kept uh, going. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll get uh, to this. I'll, all I'll say is I think I like this one a little better than the first one, but not not by much. So with that, with that, let's actually get into our review of Transformers Age of Extinction. This is the greatest advance in modern physics since the splitting of the atom. A rare metal, molecularly unstable. It's what they're made of. Bring it up, all the way. You guys have never seen a truck like this before. Dad, you can't keep spending money on junk. I don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. Dad! I'm gonna ask you this once. Where is Optimus Prime? After all we have done, humans are hunting us. I fear we are all targets now. What is that? 
Transformers Age of Extinction was released on June the 27th, 2014. It has a budget of $210 million, guys. $210 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $100 million domestically, and the worldwide gross, as of right now, is at $381.4 million. Rotten Tomatoes says in the critical acclaim of the film that with the fourth installment of Michael Bay's blockbuster Transformers franchise, nothing is in disguise. Fans of loud, effects-driven action will, be, will find satisfaction, and all others need not apply. The director is, of course, Michael Bay, who we've been talking about, and the writer was Iren Kruger. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. <laughs> it stars uh, Mark Wahlberg, Stanley Tucci, Kelsey Grammer, Nicola Peltz, uh, Jack Rayner, Renner, Rayner, Rayner, yeah, I think it's Rayner, uh, Titus Welliver, Sophia Miles, Bing Bing Lee, Peter Cullen, Frank Welker, John Goodman, Ken Watanabe, and Robert Foxworth. The composer was Steve Jab- Jablonski. Uh, who Clark can probably pronounce his name better than I can. No, that's it, Jablonski. Jablonski. So Steve Jablonski, uh, he uh, did all the scores for all the Transformer films uh, to date, and he did uh, things like Battleship and The Island. So Clark, if you would please, why don't you tell us, uh, read, read to us the story summary. Okay, let me uh, scroll down just a bit here. It's so long. <laughs> <laughs> After the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons that leveled Chicago, humanity thinks that all alien robots are a threat. So Harold Attinger, a CIA agent, establishes a unit whose sole purpose is to hunt down all of them. But it turns out they're aided by another alien robot who's searching for Optimus Prime. Cade Yeager, a robotics expert, buys an old truck and upon examining it, He thinks it's a Transformer. When he powers it up, he discovers it's Optimus. Later, men from the unit show up looking for Optimus. He helps Jaeger and his daughter escape, but they're pursued by the hunter. They escape, and Jaeger learns from tech he took from the men that a billionaire tech magnet and defense contractor named Joshua Joyce is part of what's going on. So they must go to find out, well, what's going on. I love that last part. (laughs) This is it's not the most convoluted, and it doesn't even cover all the plot points. Like it's just so. Convoluted. No, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, okay, guys, let, let's let's get into this. Let's talk about this. Um, I think in order to properly do it, though, like I, I I'm gonna need a little bit of a primer because I did not watch Transformers two and three. Um, and I I, I mean. It's not like I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I've, I've missed some stuff, obviously. I mean, the like the uh, the Autobots were all basically like in hiding, and Optimus Prime was out of the picture, and you know what, what's going on here. Well, uh, this is just sort of a, a big, broad outline because I've forgotten a lot of the the um, kind of big details. You're saying of, it was forgettable. Yeah, well, yeah, it yeah. was. But but the first three movies essentially covered a a sprawling war of sorts between the Autobots and the Decepticons and uh, the whole kind of conflict between Optimus Prime and Megatron, sort of the central good guy and bad guy, kind of came to a head in the third movie and also uh, the story of Shia LaBeouf's relationship with the Transformers sort of played out over those first three films. That also sort of resolved itself in the third movie and this film it is not really a reboot of the series exactly, but it's definitely intended as the start of a new trilogy of sorts and a new jumping on point. Uh, most of the human characters involved in this film are brand new. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any 
uh, no, human characters. I actually I'd... compared the IMDb list. There are they're all new. Every yeah, they're human all new. new. Okay, so just the Transformers remain from the previous Transformers films, and not so, really all uh, of them, I guess. Either. No, just like one, no, just, just Optimus just Prime and um, Bumblebee. Bumblebee yeah. and sort of kind of a spoilery one that we won't talk about, but um, yeah, there, there's not a lot of continuity left over, even though they're still in this movie talking about the aftermath of what happened. For instance, uh, most of Chicago got destroyed in the third movie, and there's all this stuff about remembering what happened in Chicago in this movie, and then Chicago proceeds to get destroyed again, and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it is more or less sort of the start of a new chapter in the Transformers franchise. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I I didn't, you know, because I have no love for the Transformers franchise, I, I had no idea how the reception would be to completely recasting, basically, and, and, and focusing on new characters. I mean, I know, like, they, basically, Michael Bay, and I don't even know how this worked, but I know that he excised uh, uh, Megan Fox from the plot of the third film uh, because of a falling out that they had and replaced, or, or no, the se- second film, third film? Third film. Yeah, the third, third film. film yeah. Uh, there, there was a new girl who was in that one, and they sort of worked things out and got back together again because she's now starring in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that Michael Bay is producing. Producing, right, but not yeah. directing. Yeah, but not directing. But yeah, um, I, I really don't think anyone objected to the idea of just replacing all the humans because nobody liked the human characters, really, well, in the I first attribute- movie. Even people who like liked the movies <laughs> weren't crazy about Shia LaBeouf and the gang. Well, I, I attribute the fact that I think that I like this film a little bit better than the first one directly to the fact that Labeef is not in this film. It's an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, and he was somebody, I mean, you've only seen the first movie, but he became increasingly obnoxious over the course of those three movies. His character became more uh, just sort of frantic and erratic and mean-spirited and uh, really an unlikable guy by the time the third movie rolled around. So well, I, I was certainly glad to see him gone. I mean, obviously, at least script-wise, he would have had to have dumped his girlfriend, uh, Megan Fox, uh, whatever name of the character it is that she played, for the new one that Rosie, Rosie, uh, where'd it go? Rosie Huntington Whitley played. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is, by the way, a model, not an actress. If this right. tells you anything about the way that Michael Bay is casting the role of the females in the in She's films. just multi-talented. <laughs> Except that she's not been in anything else. Like, I think one other thing. And well, she's so good, she can kind of pick where she's at. <laughs> well, and in all of these movies, the role of the girlfriend has essentially been, you know, and, and I hate to say this, but it's it, Michael Bay's essentially cast them to sort of stand there and look pretty and run. And that's all they get to do for the most part and have a few inane conversations. You may have but, heard, heard my show opening had changed for the up this, this particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Yes. Um, uh, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, even in this film, like, okay, so I, I wrote it, I, I quipped on Twitter and I'm, I'm very proud of this. So I'm going to read it again. Uh, the Transformers plot, 17 year old blonde with hot legs. Be sure to show them Optimus Prime. <laughs> Things go boom. Forbidden Obtainium explode that's that's the plot in a nutshell right there i think it's transformium <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it yes. is transformium. I, i'm almost admiring that the movie had had the gall to uh, name the substance something that just gloriously dumb <laughs> well i think they kind of made but, fun of it they were like well we didn't know the cause so we just called it transformium yeah. Um, as yeah. opposed to making it a serious thing, like if we called it unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, believe it or not, uh, going back to that first point from your tweet, uh, 
I felt like this movie was sort of less leering oh, for than sure. the last couple of Transformers for sure. movies. Well, I, like, I but, strongly remember, like, my recollections of the first film are lots of shots of Megan Fox in a very revealing clothing. And it's not to that level at all, which I think I mentioned in my review, but it is just not up to that level. But it's still that, like, yeah. there are very obvious shots where it's like, oh, Michael Bay, we wonder why you placed the camera there and the girl here. We just can't <laughs> figure that out. And there's a lot of that. I, I think the only thing that uh, maybe restraining him a little bit this time is the fact that the character is 17. Yes. Uh, so so maybe he's like, well, I'm only going to leer a little bit. <laughs> well, and <he laughs> As went, opposed to just going full tilt. He, like, he went to great lengths with that one scene to show that it was okay for this guy who was over 18 to be you know, dating and, and, and hinting that he was sleeping with this girl who's 17 because of Texas's Romeo and Juliet. That was such an awkward scene. That, that was a fairly creepy moment yeah. uh, that, that he keeps a laminated copy of that law. <laughs> <laughs> in his wallet prepared to show to anyone at any time um, yeah i was completely creeped out by that that's way too much preparation for that sort of thing <laughs> yeah th- that shows a guilty conscience right there i completely agree i mean it's this is michael bay going um okay this is how this works just like look yeah. this is legal okay so <laughs> because of texas because texas <laughs> let us proceed yeah. It's not because science, it's because Texas. <laughs> exactly. Texas uh, wins everything. Whatever. By the way, I, I do have to mention, um, Mark Wahlberg is a fairly talented actor, but Absolutely. there is no way he is convincing as a Texan. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if there's an actor that just sort of defines the spirit of Boston, it's Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and for him to like constantly be talking <laughs> through the movie about he's from Texas and you don't mess with people from Texas and hey, I'm a guy from Texas without doing anything to change his accent or nothing, his nothing. He did not even it, try to affect a Texas accent. It, it was just mm-hmm. hilarious to me. Yeah. Hey, you, was, you guys, you guys coming down to Texas. We found a transformer. <laughs> <laughs> it's wicked. Awesome. <laughs> it was horrible. You guys, I'm from Texas. Okay. We have transformers here. <laughs> That's really good. It's, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it's not even so bad that it's good. Uh, I think I saw uh, Ben Kaiser uh, said this on Twitter. I think it's not even so bad that it's good. It's so bad that it's really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've liked Mark Wahlberg and in, in various things here and there, and he seems like a really good actor. And it's not that he's not a good actor here. It's just that he has no script with which he can work here. Right. And I mean, one of the one of the things that I wrote uh, about this movie is that Mark Wahlberg's whole subplot basically feels like a feature length version of one of those country songs where a dad is talking about cleaning his gun and protecting his daughter from suitors. Big emphasis on protecting sort of, his daughter. Right. Because the whole movie is just, hey, no guy's going to touch you. Nobody's going to mess with you. Don't you mess with my daughter. Leave my daughter alone. Hey, give me back my daughter. That's the whole Mark Wahlberg subplot. The whole movie he's doing that. And it just gets a little wearisome after a while that's the only note he has to play and you can only do so much with it well most of the characters in this film felt extraneous if not all but the humans especially like they felt like well the good guy humans felt completely and totally extraneous like the whole film could have happened without them and i I really just don't like films that that do that uh you know i want to feel like my primary characters have a reason to exist yeah Um, well and i've really felt like all of the transformers movies simply have not put enough emphasis on the actual transformers. There's been too much emphasis on the humans in every single case. Hmm. And they're just, they're just not that interesting. And and the stuff that works best about the transformers movies, the thing, the thing that I think that almost everybody can agree is actually kind of fun. Sometimes is watching transformers transform and punch each other. Um, That stuff actually can be kind of entertaining, but 
Yeah, it, it can it, be. Sure. I mean, it's it's not Citizen Kane, but it works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's just not enough emphasis on the Transformer characters who tend to be better drawn and more interesting than the humans anyway. And certainly have a much sort of richer, deeper mythology to to mess around in. Yeah, except for Optimus Prime, who is constantly the one note dude. I, I really I just uh, I, re- I remember that from the first film. I just didn't like what. You know, Autobots assemble, Autobots retreat, Autobots see, attack. I, I mean, I don't know. I love Optimus Prime, um, and I, I particularly like him in this franchise, and I'll tell you why. It's because he's the one character, no matter how just sort of embarrassingly awful the movies get, Optimus Prime is somehow allowed to retain his dignity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that happens, but uh, he just sort of he plays everything very straight. There's not a lot of quippy one-liners or sort of stupid jokes. He's just... You know, the the movies actually take him seriously, and I don't know why they make him the exception to the rule, but I'm kind of grateful for it, and this know, stuff works for me for really some weird. reason. To me, it just feels like he has no personality. But go ahead, Fizz. Well, I was going to say, uh, of all the things that you could complain about in all of the Transformers movies, the the thing that I think bothers me the most is that it certainly seems, from what I see, that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of who Optimus Prime is. Uh, I think in the first film, it was pretty close. But as the films progressed, especially in the third film and this (laughs) film, Optimus Prime says and does things that are not Optimus Prime-like. That's very true. Optimus Prime should be the Captain America of the Transformers universe. He should be always positive, always good, and willing to sacrifice anything for anybody yeah. at all costs. You know, he's like, the, I'm not trying to kill people. Sometimes people die, though. You know, I, I will do almost anything to spare to do whatever. And like oh, the first movie, I think he's basically like that. Um, it, you know, barring a couple of situations, he's a strong leader who's easy to follow. It's, it's like they said in this movie, they had the one line. It's like, man, when he starts talking like that, sometimes you just got to follow him. <laughs> and I think that's true, except that his speech was awful in this yeah, movie. It was. I, I, it's like, what? I didn't get but, that from that speech. <laughs> but but that's who Optimus Prime is supposed to be. And I can I can deal with uh, bad human characters or unlikable Autobots or a bad plot. But the one thing that really drew me to these films is I love Optimus. Everyone loves, well, I mean, hypothetically, if you love Transformers, you love Optimus Prime. Maybe that's the my re- sin is I don't really know that the Transformers that yeah, well. Yeah, it's the reason that I don't like the Transformers cartoon. And the Transformers cartoon that most people like, Optimus Prime dies in the first five minutes. Ouch. And, yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to see a Transformers movie without Optimus Prime in it. That you just wasted my time. Um, and it's, I mean, it's actually, it's a, it's a pretty good story in the cartoon movie, but like I said, I wanted to see Optimus Prime. And so I think they fundamentally, fundamentally, uh, funda- gosh, I can't even say this word, fundamentally <laughs> misunderstand who Optimus Prime is. And he becomes more of, uh, like a, like a self-serving, self-protecting guy. Like, oh, I can't hear serve humans. We just got to save ourselves. And how many of my people have to die? Like Optimus Prime doesn't care. Optimus Prime is always doing the right thing all the time, just like Captain America does. And much like it's really hard to write a Superman movie or a Captain America movie, I think it's re- really hard to write a good Optimus Prime character because it's really hard to imagine what a person who always makes the right decision does. Well, he certainly well, wasn't I, like see, that in this film. No, and I, I think you're you're right about that, but there's also a part of me that's just kind of entertained by the idea that 
Optimus Prime is so fed up with these ridiculous human beings <laughs> and these movies and this ridiculous plot that he's been forced to endure that he just kind of snaps. That's a and good then the way third, to look at it. The, the third movie, it's so perfect, too, because Optimus Prime just – he really does kind of snap. And he's just has this sort of uh, transformational moment where he decides, you know what? I'm just going to go murder everybody. He does. <laughs> and I'm he like, does it. What he just happened? starts killing everybody. And it's kind of – it's horrifying in one sense, but it's also kind of wonderful. Well, <laughs> I think I think I think if they were going to embrace that side of it, because I can really see if if I was Optimus Prime and and I had to be in these movies over and over again, <laughs> it, it would work. But I really think they need to change that quintessential, that like iconic Optimus Prime voice, and just let Samuel Jackson play Optimus Prime, <laughs> because then at least it, you know I'm tired of these you know <laughs> mother F- words that Michael we can't Bay say films. on this podcast. Yeah, you know so. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, I think my favorite transformer is the John Goodman transformer hound. He's the only transformer that's like worth, sorry, I think I might have interrupted. No, no, I I was done. I was just saying, I like, I don't like Optimus Prime, but I do like John Goodman's transformer. You know what annoys me about him though? He smokes a cigar. Why? Why does he keep smoking a cigar? Well, and it never goes out and it never does anything. He throws it on the ground, I think at some point. Or at Stanley Tucci. Yeah, but it, I don't know why. He, I get, I don't know. That's one of those design things that bugs me, but yep. I'm sure I'm just nitpicking. No, I, I I get it. Well, I mean, it's a personality thing. I mean, like, why does one have to look like a samurai? Why does one sound like an English? Why does yeah. one basically look like Jason Statham? You know? Yeah, like, but, but, the, but the cool thing about the Transformers, though, is they transform, but all of these parts that make them look like these particular things can transform back into whatever automobile they're supposed to look like. So it's a sort of really unique design model and i feel like that cigar is probably just like a a stray piece he kind of adds I think, on i think it was like a like a shell because at, at one point like when he's running out of ammo i think he, yeah. he like flips it around and shoots it yeah in the, okay yeah, he does uh, spoiler alert and i don't know <laughs> that's not a spoiler <laughs> transformers fight you ruin the whole movie for everybody it's it's, it's over think. just hang yeah. it up there's i mean because there's there, there can't be any spoilers for a movie with no plot guys <laughs> Well, well, actually, I think that's one of the problems. I think the, the movie tries to have too much plot and can't decide which plot it wants to actually follow. That's um, true. Well, that's which kind is why it's of like true. Really long. I, I would, I yes. like the plot yeah. that's there is not worth having, but it's like there, there's too many roads that it goes down that never go anywhere. And then well, it seems like it's almost over, and it just sort of revs up again somewhere. It else. restarts. Yeah. yeah. Well, can can we do spoilers so we can basically talk about the different sections of this film? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I don't think that's really much of a spoiler, anyway. No, there's no. I mean, like I said, I don't. I don't see any spoilers for this film. Things okay. go boom. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. I feel like there there is a movie um, that could have been made about the Transformers trying to get back together and being hunted by lockdown. That's yes. a movie I would have yes. wanted to see. There's a movie about them have about uh, Galvatron. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, um, being created by humans and the transformers having to fight man-made transformers. I think that's a movie. And that's the, I think that's a movie I would have preferred to see. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, but there's also this other kind of hybrid movie that it involves, uh, you know, the, the predator lockdown ship trying to find the dino bots, uh, as well. And I'm like, I'm I'm not exactly sure what's happening up there. Uh, so like how many movies were we trying to make? If we would have made one of these movies, I count three at least. Yeah. I, I would have been happy with, 
a two hour version well, of any one of these movies. And this is only in a couple of scenes, but the movie also, I think kind of wants to be Prometheus too, like a Michael Bay transformer <laughs> oh, yeah. version of Prometheus. Cause it steals like the opening and closing scenes of that movie, basically for the opening and closing scenes of this one. Well, uh, that's what I'm crazy. talking about with the, the whole Dino bot thing. Like where are the, you know, some of these older transformers come from yeah. or, you know, where, how they're kind of born or created. Oh, that was the, th- the, the, the creator. They keep referring to like these unknown creators that want Optimus back. You know, and they want to confront Optimus or they're dis- displeased with Optimus spending so much time on Earth. And, and I'm like, well, that's a that's a movie I would I would be interested. I mean, as as far as Transformers movies go, I, that's a plot I would be interested in. But they like just cram them all into one movie and well, say, we're not going to give any of these the time they deserve. We're just going to let one thing sort of resolve itself to pick the next one up. So at two and a half hours in, or you're basically wondering why just, you're still sitting there or just pick the next one up anyway. And, and well. you know, the, the, the whole, the business side of this movie is shining through sort of at so many times in such a distracting way. Oh, and it awful. really feel, it really feels like, especially the whole third act of the movie feels like it exists to pander to a big international market, specifically to pander to China. Right. And they actually worked out this whole deal with the Chinese government, and they held uh, auditions for Chinese people to be in the movie and made a big deal of it. And it's made a ton of money over there. So, it's I mean, the the deal has worked out. But it's so distracting when you have, for no reason at all, a couple of guys in Hong Kong appearing on screen who haven't been seen in the movie up to this point – just coming in and saying, oh, no, this stuff's going down. We need to call the Chinese government for help because they're so helpful. Wink, wink. Nudge, yeah. nudge. <laughs> that sort of stuff is really distracting. And, uh, you know, it, it was happening a lot uh, throughout the third act of the movie. And well, plus, on the other side of it, you've got product placement. Ugh. Some of the most sort of just shamelessly blatant product placement I've ever seen in a movie. And Michael Bay is bad about this in general. But Beats mm-hmm. audio, this, anybody? Yeah, the, the <laughs> Stanley Tucci taking the Transformium and uh, basically saying, you can turn this stuff into anything, like a Beats pill, audience. <laughs> Or, or, you know, Mark Wahlberg attacking that guy, and it's like, oh, I just had a big confrontation with a guy. I'm going to crack open a Bud Light and drink it on camera right now. You know, this whole mm-hmm. sort of Although, thing. I could see Michael Bay doing that all by himself. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> the, the, the Beats audio thing was way over the top. Like, like yeah, and the Not to put too fine a point on it, but hey, you might want to get one of these. <laughs> uh, and God, the big, Victoria's in the middle secret, of anybody? a Chinese city, a big Victoria's Secret bus uh, <laughs> getting cut in half. <sighs> And then yeah. that big Tom Ford poster right behind Optimus Prime as he turns up holding his sword. Yeah, and speaking of like the yeah. whole thing in in, uh, in in China, like I didn't get why this uh, Chinese uh, woman was in the film, like and not doing anything, but they kept like cutting to her and and, and like and, and now all of a sudden we're in China, like oh and well, I, it makes sense they're pandering to the Chinese market. And and, and again, I mean, uh, I'm all in favor of having a great Chinese character in sure. a movie, but it really did feel like you know a, a blatant attempt to pander to that audience to say, look, see, you've got a prominent character in this movie who's not really doing anything. Uh, until that big sort of action scene comes up, and even but, then, well, and to be fair, I suppose nobody else is doing anything either. So, well, yeah, we, but more, we take more a, than more than that character for the most part. That's true. Yeah, go ahead, Fizz. Well, I was going to say, can we take a moment to at least acknowledge the leaps and bounds Michael Bay has made by having a woman at least be useful for even if it's only for five minutes of the film, like that's in one, you know, <sighs> like that's that's such a novel idea that he. To him. To, yeah, to him to have a female who can either defend herself or save save a man. 
Like there is a like part of me blowing. too that thinks the reason that uh, Mark Wahlberg's wife is dead is that Michael Bay couldn't bear the idea of having to create a female character of substance to deal with for a whole movie. <laughs> Probably. So, like so, I said, uh, no, just he's a single dad. Okay, just let's yeah. do that. Remember when I when I said in the show opening for this particular episode that the show was about misogyny? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's one of the worst things about Michael Bay films. Yeah. Right. And I mean, in, in, in this movie and in a lot of his movies, uh, you know, pretty much every female character sort of populating the background of every laboratory and scene in the movie looks like a model, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a, a really distracting sort of objectifying technique that he uses a lot. Was it, it a Slash Film article that said like f- like f- five or seven ways, you know, you're a woman in, in a Michael Bay film or something possibly. like that? Possibly. Oh, it was pretty great. Yeah, look it up. Is that the one I linked to by any chance? I don't think that was what that article was about, though, the one I linked to. I linked mm-hmm. to a David Chen article who is uh, known for doing the Slash film cast, and he occasionally writes as well. Um, Guardians, nope. I'm looking, looking, looking. Oh, yeah, the Bayest film Bay ever bade. Uh, <clears throat> it was uh, Transformers Age of Extinction is the culmination of film as commerce. That's probably not the right article. I'll go ahead and throw that in the show notes, though. Um, uh, I'll see if I can find it. Okay, good. Yeah. So speaking of of those female characters that have nothing to do, I mean, like, like that was my I I don't know if I'd call it my primary thing against the film, but Nicola Peltz doesn't have anything to do in this film, and it's like in one or two scenes, it's like Michael Bay realized, oh, we probably should give her something to do, and so it's like, oh, she pulls the brake on the back wheels to make it slide, and that's what she like. That was so yeah. lame. It, it's a really sort of nothing part, and she and in fairness, her boyfriend's the same way too. Both oh, sure. of them. They're just pretty faces Throw sort of sitting there. In the, yeah. And uh, I have to say, Nicola Peltz, uh, I'm sure she's a nice person and everything, but not a lot of charisma there. And granted, she didn't have much of a part to play. Right. But those line readings of hers were, were really, really painful. It was enough to make me wish that Megan Fox was back. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's saying something right there. Yeah, it, it, it was bad. Well, she hasn't been in too many things. She's been in something called Deck the Halls in 2006. The Last Airbender in 2010, Eye of the Hurricane in 2012, The Bates Motel TV series 2013-2014, and Transformers Age of Extinction. I think I remember her character in The Last Airbender. That was not a good movie either. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't see it because I heard it was so bad, and I wasn't yeah. a movie bite at the time. So, um, Yeah, so um, speaking of characters that... that uh, and, and this is where a character had something to do, and I didn't like it, and that was Kelsey Grammer, who, like, his character was played with no subtlety whatsoever. It's like he's bad for reasons. Um, you know, the, the United States owes him. He served the United States all his life. Like, I don't know. Am I the only one that felt that way about him? I guess. Well, uh, there's sort of kind of an explanation for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is this is said without political commentary at all because I know we don't want to get into that. But Kelsey mm-hmm. Grammer said in an interview that he based his character and tr- his character motivations on Dick Cheney. So, or whatever that's worth. <laughs> Seems like where the performance that's, is coming I, I, from. I, I, everything has been explained. Yes. <laughs> um, the one character I did like, though, and, and it's like Mark Wahlberg, decent actor, couldn't quite redeem his script. Stanley Tucci, on the other hand, like, <laughs> he, like if I was going to say there's a reason you should go see this film, and I'm not, but if there was, it would be him. Because he he's like... He always elevates the movie that he's in, I think. And and even here, like, if there's a reason why I like this film a little better, besides the fact that LaBeef is gone, uh, 
Sorry, LeBeouf, however you say his name. Uh, I'll continue to say LeBeouf. Um, Despite the fact that that he's gone also, like, if there is another reason why this film has been elevated a little, I think it's Stanley Tucci. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, I I agree. It's the best human performance in the movie, for sure. For sure. uh, Mm -hmm. He he does have... um, sort of a poorly written part, honestly, because he's a character who's sort of presented as a serious character early on for the most part. And then he kind of turns into wacky comic relief in the yes. third act. Yeah. But he, he plays everything really well. And whether he's playing the kind of uh, serious self-important scientist or the really kind of funny panicky comic relief guy, he plays it really well. His line readings are a lot of fun and he, he sells both the dramatic moments and the comedic moments that he has to play. There's some real sort of human emotion in there that's recognizable yeah. and kind of complex almost at times. Well, I mean, I definitely have uh, issues with the script, like where all of a sudden he just changed roles, just like almost at yeah. the drop of a hat. Like he got a phone call and now he's a good guy. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, now he's a good guy. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it, I almost looked past it. Cause like, you know, this is Tucci and, and he really makes it work. And then, you know, in a movie full of just kind of, sincere but dopey lines one of the sincerest and dopiest is that mark Wahlberg line about i know you have a conscience because you're an inventor like me you know we'll follow that (laughs) yeah it's pretty dopey but but again i i i've I've not yet seen tucci in a role that i did not enjoy and uh this is no exception i i have to say like if the film had been you know somehow raised every other part had somehow been raised the same level tucci was able to raise this role I might have been like, okay, okay, you know, but eh, no, as it and, is. You know, the thing that I wonder, too, I can't help, I haven't really watched any uh, interviews with him about the movie, but I can't help but wonder what Stanley Tucci really thinks about being in a movie like this, because he's a director, too. Uh, he's made about five movies, and I've seen most of them, and they're they're small, independent movies, but they're very, very intelligent, thoughtful, kind of character-driven movies with these really well-drawn characters and good performances and everything, and I can't help but wonder what he's thinking as he sort of, you know, goes through a movie like this because he, he, he knows how to make a movie and he knows how to draw characters. Yeah. And you know, if, if he just sort of accepts that this is part of the game and he's collecting a paycheck and he's just going to do the best he can, or if it really does frustrate him, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's really a shame actually that he's in this film because it, it really is kind of a waste of talent as far as I'm concerned. I mean, just look at what, look at what he's brought to the hunger games. I mean, just, just fantastic. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh. Jack the Giant Slayer, which I liked, but uh, arguably not that great. But again, his role of Roderick, great, great. You know, and so I just feel like he's just so wasted here. It's just a bummer. But you know, there there are a lot of actors who do this too, and I, I'm sure that you know uh, he he doesn't really get much funding to make those movies he makes, uh, right. or or from the sort of smaller movies that he does on a fairly regular basis. So hey, if this gets him a few million dollars to give him a little more breathing room to do something else elsewhere, then, you know, more power to him, I guess. Oh, he's also in Captain America, the first Avenger, which which he was mm-hmm. great in, so. That's right. I forgot about yeah, that Dr. Abraham Erskine. Yes. Well, I, I was going to say something. When you're talking about making money to do the things you want to do, I, I feel like this, this idea of tentpole films came up, like, you know, it sucks that tentpole films have to be made so that studios can risk losing money on films that we actually want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those necessary evils. So that's another reason that like, like I said, this is almost like a devil's advocate thing. I I do think transformer, this transformers movie was a bad movie, but if this film in any way helps better films be made, either because the studio makes so much money or because these actors are getting paid and they can go on to do better things. Well, um, but it's not I'm, a bad point. 
I'm going to devil's advocate your devil's advocate for a moment <laughs> though, here. It's like devil's Inception. advocate. Inception. <laughs> Inception. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, though, studios are getting worse and worse about actually taking those occasional risks on smaller movies. If you look at the stuff that studios are putting out now, as opposed to, say, uh, the stuff the studios were putting out 15, 20 years ago, they're, they're taking far fewer risks on smaller movies. They're putting out fewer movies in general. Uh, and and sort of leaving the more ambitious stuff to the kind of smaller independent studios. But you're not seeing uh, the likes of Paramount and Fox and Warner Brothers taking those big chances nearly as often as they used to. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, it, they really are putting all of their eggs in these big tentpole baskets for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And like like I said, that's why I I would I would minimize my let the studios do it and be like, hey, much like TJ said, if this allows anybody who was involved with this film to go and make a better movie, whether it be Stanley Tucci or, you know, Kelsey Grammer is not a bad actor. He can go make a good movie, you know, just get whatever it takes for someone to get paid so they can go make something I, I actually want to uh, spend time, you know, contemplating and enjoying. Right. Then and, and- however that happens, I'm fine with that. And, and studios have decided now to uh, – a, a lot of these studios are kind of looking for the big payday. They want to spend $200 million and make $500 million. They're not really as interested in spending $40 million and making $20 million anymore. It's just yeah. you know not th- – th- that's small potatoes at this point. And everybody's swinging for the fences. And some notable filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and some others have pointed out it's a a – an approach which could crash the system at some point if enough people yeah. fail at once, but yeah, it hasn't I mean, happened yet. I doubt so. the, the the system would crash, and if it did, it would, wouldn't stay crashed. But I mean, it's a, no. It's a I point mean, but well it could it could it could hurt it. Yeah. Well, yeah. if if this year has taught us anything, they can go throw like eight million dollars at a subpar Christian film, and it'll probably give you a four or five. Uh, times re- investment return. I don't even know if I want to talk about that. <laughs> <sighs> now I'm sad. Uh, now I'm sad. I was having fun criticizing this movie and now I'm sad, Fizz. What are you, what are you doing here? Well, I'm just, I'm, like I said, I'm just pointing out that apparently there's a built-in audience where if you make a crappy film and it costs like $8 million, you can go make $90 million And you call it, and as long as you call it a Jesus film. As long as you call it a Jesus film, built-in audience. Uh, yeah, it's why, heaven why is people, for real. Yeah, <laughs> what what was that? Nothing. Oh, oh, oh I, okay. God's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to spend some time talking about the action in this uh, film because that's pretty much what this film is: is action. But it's not like I think the reason why I hate it even more than I would hate your typical action movie is because. Even more, like, I think, than the first, even though, uh, even though, again, I enjoyed this film a little more than the first Transformers, I think even more than the first Transformers, the action in this film was so incoherent. And not just mm. incoherent, there was downright non sequiturs. Like, they're racing around out in a cornfield trying to get away from, uh, from, from the, from the U.S. government, the CIA bad guys, right? And they're, they're being chased around a cornfield. All of a sudden, they're in the middle of a city, like, literally, the, one cut, they're in a cornfield, the next cut, they're in the middle of a city. In, in no cornfield in sight, all, you know, all road, and, and they're still being, ch- like, like it, and it's, it's just a direct cut. There's nothing about the cut that would indicate that any time has passed. They're just suddenly not in the cornfield anymore. Yeah. This is like, whoa, this is so bad. And and that, that was one of the big disappointments for me in this movie, to the degree that you can be disappointed in the movie. But one of the few, like, surprising disappointments to me was that the action was so weak. Um, 
because this came on the heels of the third Transformers movie, which I thought in its second hour, uh, Transformers 3 featured some of the best action stuff that Michael Bay has ever directed, just from a technical perspective. The mm-hmm. movie's not good. The first like hour and 15 minutes of it is completely insufferable and loaded with horrible comedy stuff. <laughs> but the last stretch of that movie has some incredibly well-directed action sequences. It's very fluid. It's graceful. It's almost balletic at times. Uh, very well choreographed, very coherent. I was really impressed, and particularly I was impressed because the second movie is one of the most incoherent action movies mm-hmm. I've ever seen. One of the worst movies I've ever seen, I would go so far as to say. But the third movie really did show some huge improvements in that area, and so I was hoping he might continue to build on that here. And while the stuff in the fourth movie, I, I, it's not as just sort of horribly incoherent as the stuff in the second movie, it feels like he's just kind of lost his inspiration, like he's on autopilot almost for a lot of the action scenes. Yeah, and, and you're not the first person I've heard say that. I've read several reviews of the film that say that uh, Michael Bay, it just seems like he's lost interest in his own thing. And he's just, you know, he's, he's you know, becoming a parody of Michael Bay almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think that, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he seems like he's getting a little burned out on this at this point it it doesn't feel like he's as into the material and that almost seems ridiculous to say when you consider how over the top some of the stuff is i mean he's still got a bajillion sort of ridiculous sort of low angle hero shots of all the characters all the time you know and then these the american flag waving in slow motion and all these sort of patriotism right these big directorial touches but i don't know it just feels kind of half-hearted this time around like he's just sort of you know, that's eh, well, I certainly could not follow. And this is this made the film so much less enjoyable, even than it already was, is that I just couldn't follow much of the action. Like, like, yeah. the the cuts just were nonsensical. Like, there's a character here and suddenly he's blocks away. I mean, instantly, like, it's like he, there's nobody on set. You know, because normally you have like an action, you know, coordinator and choreographer, and you got somebody watching for the inconsistencies. And I, I don't know; it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, obviously this would have had to happen in the editing, I guess, but it's just, it's just, wow, something, the, something really went wrong. There were only two sequences, like kind of action sequences, that sort of felt like they were kind of working. Sometimes one was in the building in Chicago. Uh, that one had uh, yeah. a, a little bit more of a sense of of space and mm-hmm. and direction than some of the others, and then. Uh, the one that took place inside the alien ship. And again, something taking place inside a fairly confined space. Uh, I think that helped a little bit to just sort of focus the scene, but both of those kind of worked. Um, the, the big sort of outdoor chaos scenes were fairly incoherent for the fairly most part. Chaotic. Go figure. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah it, it, to me, it was kind of like watching, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a chance or if you've ever, if you remember playing with Legos yourself or, or, yeah. or, or anything like it's, it's like watching a kid play with Legos where, Characters do nonsensical things and they wind up over here and they put, you know, over here and, uh, you know, it just, it's just bad. Fizz, I, I thought I heard you trying to say something. Oh, no. Well, I mean, I, I, I basically am I'm on the same page. I wouldn't really call, I don't think I would go as far to say like lots of it was incoherent, but I, that's mainly because as Clark already pointed out, like the second one is, is really bad. Yeah. Like there, there's like one really good fight scene in that movie, and then everything else I can't tell who's who half the time, um, and it just doesn't make sense to me. And so after the action's over, you're like, okay, I guess he won because he's the only one standing up. Um, and three, I thought was if for as as bad as the logic or the attempted logic in that movie is, uh, and the plot, the 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 attack on Chicago I thought was great. 
Yeah. And what was the reason that I was like, okay, this wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen because at least that was fun to watch. And I was hoping I'd get more of that in this movie. And honestly, I do think it almost does feel like Michael Bay is phoning it in. There was a point, I think when I thought the movie was kind of about to end and then they actually go and get on a lockdown ship. And when stuff was happening on lockdown ship, I actually felt bored. Like dogs were chasing people. Yeah, no, totally. And you know, like they were running into weird creatures and and stuff like that. And I was, I was completely bored of the action. I was bored to tears by that stuff. Um, you know, and it, it wasn't until like the Dinobots came at the end that I kind of, you know, popped up in my seat a little and I thought the action got a little bit better. I thought the Dinobots action was pretty good, but after they're, you know, they have like two or three minutes of, of real action and then they're just kind of set pieces that were moved around for the rest of it. Pretty I much. did have to, to raise my eyebrow a little bit too at the scene where Optimus Prime is wrestling with the one Dinobot and he's like, I'm trying to give you your freedom now. Serve me or I will murder you. Sort of, <laughs> you know, I was kind of ah. yeah, well, like, like I said, I'm not really bad following speech. there. Nothing, bad speech, yeah, but I bad understood speech. the primal thing. <laughs> Nothing um, about that made any sense to me actually. Like, like I... Well, they're, 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 uh, okay. So <laughs> it, it made sense, but I thought it was done poorly. Um, like, you know, like we could say for everything else in the movie, cause I mean, they're, they're more primal. They're not really like thinking Autobots. They're just like wild animals basically. Right. I mean, so it, it was so like it's trying like, to it's break like, a horse or something. Yeah. It's like nature, you know, you basically assert your dominance over well, who would be the, you know, Grimlock, the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex character is, is the, you know, the alpha of the Dinobots. And so Optimus basically challenges him, calls him out and says, you know, let's do this. And he, he breaks him, like you said, like he breaks a horse or, you know, he beats the alpha male and his submission gives him kind of control or lets them know what they're going to do for the rest of the time. Are you buying any of this Clark? Uh, as much as I bought anything in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so done poorly, but I kind of understood it. They could have explained it better. They, you know, Optimus prime could have had a better speech, but once he does that, yeah, they got there, they, they chew on, they chew on, bad Decepticon kind of Transformers. I thought that was cool. He breathes fire. He slides through. They rip things apart. I was okay with that. Okay, whatever. The the, the hounds, sh- you know, our hounds shot lots of people. John Goodman was killing people in kind of funny ways. I, you know, I like that. But That was outside, fun. Outside of that, those small couple scenes, most of the action, I, I wasn't into the chase scenes. I, I didn't, I, the most of the stuff that Lockdown was a part of, I thought could have been really awesome and was boring. Um, I don't understand how a, 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 a transformer that is a mercenary transformer that has captured the Dinobots, um, that has basically, he's like the predator of transformers. Okay. So he's like one of the ultimate hunters. He can't kill a human that is literally like three feet away from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, the given that, you know, we're not talking about like obviously plot holes, but <laughs> th- you know, that if, if you can't kill a human, that's like three feet away from you then you're probably not making an action scene that's worth me watching. Well, and this is related to one of the frustrating things about the Mark Wahlberg character in this is, uh, have either of you guys seen Gremlins, the 80s movie Gremlins? I have not. Mm-hmm. I have. Okay. Well, you know, in Gremlins, there's that inventor, Rand Peltzer, who's just so bad at everything. All of his inventions are just complete failures, and they all break, and they're all useless and everything. Uh, in in this movie, Mark Wahlberg is presented as that kind of character. All of his inventions, everything he's made is just 
worthless junk that half works. It's really bad. And he's clearly just, you know, he's trying, but he's just not that good at what he does. But suddenly, whenever the pressure's on, he turns into Thomas Edison. And it's just, <laughs> his inventions are amazing. And uh, the CIA is just blown away. Like, who is this guy manipulating our tech so masterfully? Uh, who who couldn't get his, you know, uh, beer robot to work in his garage? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. works well under pressure. Apparently, sure. he f- can fix Optimus Prime. <laughs> although, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Like, when did he fix Optimus Prime? I didn't remember that happening. And no, they like, just kind of s- skipped over that. Yeah, it's yeah. like, he, Optimus Prime is broken. Optimus Prime is not working. Optimus Prime is not in his prime. Uh, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, like he transforms into uh, the big Optimus Prime truck, and it's all good. And he fixed him. Yeah. He was kind of Optimus mediocre there for a little while, <laughs> and then paint job Prime. Which I don't understand. Maybe this is because I just not don't haven't watched the other films. I don't understand the rules of transforming. Like he's this old nasty uh, cab over truck, by the way, not a not a you know not a full nose truck, a cab over truck, and and then all of a sudden like he scans a truck that looks nothing like him, and now all of a sudden he can be the Optimus Prime truck again. I don't even understand the rules of that. How does that yeah, work? Yeah, I, I may so have forgotten something, but I wasn't aware that that was actually something they could do either. But no, Michael Bay. Thing. I guess since they're made of transformium, uh, they can yeah. technically turn into anything they want to. But then, I mean. That ruins the whole fun of the concept, but you know, yeah, whatever. Well, and that and that that was always the thing that you know. Okay, given you have to suspend disbelief to believe in Transformers in the first place, of course, sure. But so Autobots come down, and they all decide that they're going to take the form of whatever automobile that you know they they find. Decepticons come down, and they all take the shape of like war machines. They're all fighter planes and helicopters and tanks and all these cool things. And it's like, you know, Autobots, a little pre-planning, just a little bit of pre-planning <laughs> just a here. Little. <laughs> you, you probably but it, but it, it speaks to their more kind of, you know, pacifist nature, though. Yeah. E- On a thematic level. <laughs> I wouldn't call it pacifist. Wait, 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 wait. But, theme? But theme? What? what? What's this? <laughs> I'm, well, I'm talking about more, you know. They had deeper themes when they were toys as okay, opposed to okay. movies. <laughs> I mean, the Transformers cartoon, as much as any other you know cartoon of the '80s, is uh, a solid cartoon. You know, your 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 lesson every show. You just you know, use the word "solid cartoon" in reference to an '80s cartoon. How does that work? There are some good stuff out there. Okay. All right. uh, out of curiosity, have either of you seen any of the uh, relatively new Transformers Prime? Series animated series. You, this is a joke, right? This is a seri- no, no, no. This is I'm, not I'm a serious, serious question. It's, it, it, I'm, I'm just curious. No, no, no. Uh, unlike it, TJ, I'm not going to assume since it's a cartoon, it has no intrinsic value. But no, <laughs> I have not seen it. I didn't ever it's, say that. Okay, so so I review uh, DVDs and Blu-rays for a website, and I got the first season as a random review assignment, and I sort of rolled my eyes, and I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible and insufferable, blah, blah, blah. But this. Um, the first season of it, at least, was vastly better than any of the Transformers movies. The characterization was actually really well done. Mm. It was it was a lot of fun. I I, I had a good time with it. And um, for those who actually want a semi decent, pretty coherent Transformers story, that show is worth checking out. Well, it's like I said before the the animated Transformers movie is a good movie. Yeah, uh, I mean. It's got a coherent plot, great character development. My only problem with it is the fact that Optimus Prime dies in the first five minutes, and I have Spoiler a hard time Spoiler alert. Getting... Did we already mention that? Well, we the first did. five minutes. It, <laughs> it, it would have been in the trailer. Okay. Uh, now, you know, along with the end of the movie in today's trailers. So, It also kind of is a an amusing and sad bit of trivia that the Transformers animated movie was the last film of Orson Welles' career. 
Mm, that's so interesting. it's from Citizen Kane to Transformers the movie. <laughs> that's the journey he took over the course of his life. Uh, it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm not even saying I'm not even saying that tongue in cheek. I mean, I think it is legitimately, yeah. especially as far as it's animated fun. films go. It's it's a it's a solid movie. It's I'm, fun. Um, I'm gonna yeah. try to try to start herding the cats toward the exit. So if you have any final uh, thoughts or things that you want to wrap up <laughs> with, let's let's start doing that. Can can we talk about the the ending at all? Is that too spoilery? No, can let's we do talk it. Let's let's call ending? major spoilers and let's do it. Okay. Um. So this was the other part of the movie that sort of ripped off Prometheus. Is at the end of the movie. Uh, Optimus Prime basically decides that he's going to go hunt down and confront his creators, which they'll probably be happy with because they've been trying to hunt him down, too. Yeah, no kidding. Um, How convenient. Which, which suggests to me uh, that if the fifth movie really follows through with that, that it could be the most sort of philosophically inclined film of Michael Bay's career, which sort of fascinates and terrifies me at the same time. <laughs> I'm, I'm more terrified. <laughs> but but I, I'm really curious if this is going to be like something genuinely uh, attempting to be some kind of uh, thought-provoking thing of, of Optimus Prime confronts his creators well, and the nature of his reality. Aren't and so you on quite and so the forth. Joker tonight? Or, or is this going to be something more along the lines of um, Star Trek five? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to <laughs> Star is, Trek five. Let's I'm go thinking. find God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that's the direction I'm thinking here, but nonetheless, it just struck me as a sort of um, kind of, wonderfully absurd way to close that movie <laughs> mm. uh, it, it just sort of suggests a level of kind of narrative ambition if you can call it that 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 series hasn't really shown an interest in and i'm sure that well, mr bay isn't capable of actually doing anything with it but well, chad and i talked about this a little bit last week when we reviewed the island uh kind of uh-huh. reviewing the only what i consider to be the only good michael bay film and yeah. uh it, it Bad boys. uh to me it's it's kind of rock too but yeah <laughs> the rock is okay <laughs> but i still like the island much better um, but it's, it's kind of like, so Michael Bay tried his hand at this, uh, you know, this philosophical thing and people hated it. And this is, it's almost like, well, I've learned my lesson. I'm not, I'm not touching that again. I mean, yeah. that's, that's almost the way it feels to me. I, I really like the Island and it was a really, I mean, I agree with you, Clark. I think we had it out a little on social media where it's like, yeah, I wish they would have explored that more, but what they did explore was fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, that side of the movie was really compelling. It's, you know, you don't, you would rarely use the words thought provoking to describe a, a Michael Bay movie, but <laughs> right. it, it genuinely was. It, it was had some yes. interesting ideas in there and, you know, and a lot of explosions and stuff too. Of course there but, was, there was a lot of Bay in the middle there. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, I, I do wish that that movie had been a success because I think his career might, look a little bit different yeah um, i think i feel like it was almost like a test like he was sticking his toe in the waters and like the water burned him and he's like nah, not doing that again mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know I, that's just me maybe but that's what it feels like and, and i still haven't seen i haven't seen his movie pain and gain from a couple uh, of years ago uh, <laughs> I, I keep hearing people say that it's like the most michael bay michael bay movie there is um <sighs> but I, I i don't know what to make maybe of that. that's the most bayest bay film bay ever bayed <laughs> um I actually kind of liked it. I thought it was a pretty good film. Because you're you're always the one to 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 go against the grain here. No, well, I mean, there's lots of critics who actually think it's a a pretty good film. If they just didn't hate it, they really it's like it's like a a polarizing film. Yeah, you, know, you either hated it or you liked it. Like I understood what he was trying to do. Um, so I, I mean, thought I've he had did it well. sitting in my Netflix queue for a little bit now, just sort of sitting there. Like, do you really want to do this or not? You know, so <laughs> I'm going to go with no for me. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a little on the long side, 
but like I feel like if that movie ever got into my Netflix queue, I'd have to cancel the account, take a shower, you know, wash <laughs> my computer, or sell it, or I, I just don't know, no. Well, you know, it's, it's like there's there's certain movies where like you're like, oh, I know why this director picked this movie, and the you know this this uh, kind of retelling or this based on a true story account, um, it's almost like a documentary, and. But the 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 tale that they're retelling is so ridiculous and unbelievable that like if you try to make it as a straight documentary, people wouldn't like people would be like, this is awful. This this is you're trying to be silly in a documentary. So Michael Bay comes in and makes this incredibly ridiculous uh, thing that happened in real life come to life in a way that I think only he can because he totally embraces the ridiculousness of this story. Um, and it wasn't until I, I didn't really realize what a good job he did because I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Is this really what happened? And then I read the story of what happened and I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> this all happened. And then he kind of, you know, he basically says it in, like during the film. Um, and I was like, I thought he was just like, embellishing, but this like he, it's this ridiculous thing and he makes it ridiculous because it was ridiculous. And I was like, if anyone else would have done that, they would have tried to be too serious. It wouldn't have been as anyway, funny, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think pain and gains is bad as some people said, if you think it's supposed to be a re- anyway, that's not the point. Let's move on. <laughs> the, the, the other, the other thing I, I did want to say real quick about the ending is, uh, at the end of the movie. And again, this is a big spoiler, I guess. Uh, Megatron is essentially revived in a, a different body of sorts. Galvatron, yeah. get Galvatron. it right. But, but no, he is Galvatron. Well, it is, but it he's is all, Megatron. He, he's know, Megatron at the I'm, end of the movie. I'm being funny. And so when I walked out of the theater, uh, I, I'm here in Griffin, Georgia, for folks who don't know. But uh, I walked out of the theater, and there was a guy with this very deep southern accent. And he said that he turned to his girlfriend or his wife, whoever it was, and he said after the movie, he said, you know, humans are so stupid reviving Megatron again. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? Humans are so stupid. It's pretty much like the overriding theme of all of these movies. That, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Humans are so stupid is the message you get after 11, 12 hours of Transformers. Yep, I that, completely agree. That's <laughs> the end. We're, we're allowing these films to continue to be made. I'd say we're pretty stupid. <laughs> well, I, I want to say this about the ending. I feel like we could we could sit here and pick apart uh, – plot holes for a long time and we did and we did and that means it's ironic that i would pick one plot hole that seems more plot holier than anything else but the very end of the movie like you've already said you know uh optimus prime takes off into space and is like i'm gonna go find the creators okay so the entire premise of the movie uh is that the autobots are trapped on earth with no way to leave right (laughs) Right? And I was like, you could have just flown off the whole time? Why did we have this movie? You should have left, like, years ago. First three movies. Spoiled. Ruined. Well, Nobody I mean, like, had told him about this whole creator's thing and that gave him the power. That he- <laughs> to just, start, like, start flying off. I'm like, well, if all the Autobots could have just flown off into space, why are, why are they worried about being hunted on Earth? Just leave. Go literally anywhere. Go hang out on the moon for a while. You know, until you can find a better plan. Maybe it'll help our space program get funded <laughs> or something like that. So we'll go chase you off the moon. Uh, I don't know. Just I would I think that I the Transformers understand. would get a give kind of a big kickstart to the space program, but we haven't really seen much evidence of that in the movies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I, d- I did find that article as well. The uh, the seven ways to tell you're a woman in a Michael Bay movie. So I'll put that in the show notes yep, or we got can it. read it. <laughs> uh, that will be in the show notes and I will read that as soon as we're done recording this podcast. Right. Speaking of which, do you gentlemen have any final thoughts that you would like to wrap up with? Um, I mean, like, it wasn't a good movie, but if you know why you're going to the theater in the first place, then you'll probably only be moderately disappointed. Mm. Star and, rating? Star rating? Uh, are we doing all, all our star ratings right now? Yeah. I thought yeah. you always started so we could make fun of you first. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I would give this movie two out of five stars. Okay, fair. Clark? The same rate, the same rating I gave RoboCop. I, I just want to <laughs> say, sort of in closing thoughts, that um, I really don't think Michael Bay is necessarily as awful as a lot of people seem to, because Michael Bay is sort of when you think of big stupid movies, Michael Bay is the first name that comes to mind. But I think part of the reason for that is that Michael Bay makes big stupid movies more distinctively than most people make big stupid movies. There there are a lot of kind of big dumb blockbusters out there, but you can never mistake a Michael Bay movie for somebody else's sort of big dumb movie. He has True so enough. many just kind of unique trademarks. And in some ways, I mean, he's as unique a director as somebody like, you know, Wes Anderson or Steven Spielberg. Uh, he has his particular ticks that he returns to over and over again. And uh, I, I really think some of them are kind of interesting and could be really well used in the right context. But, he keeps aligning himself with uh, kind of incoherent scripts and and bad ideas time and time again. So we never really see him reach his potential. But I, I I think he's a director with a certain amount of raw talent lurking beneath all the the garbage. Uh, he, anyway, he's almost always a positive return on investment. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, the island accepted. I mean, his movies make a ton of money. Right, and the island is proof that he can make a good film. He can and, do it. You're absolutely right. He and Bad know. Boys in the Rock. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think he can for sure if he if if he would put his mind to it. But he's just sort of entrenched. He's like dug his heel heels into this uh, this stupidity. He's just reveling in it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, all, all of that being said, uh, I, I would give this movie also two stars out of five. It's not the worst Transformers film. Um, not the best either, but it, it's, yeah, two out of five sounds about right. Okay. Well, I, uh, I would say this to our, uh, wonderful listeners. All of you are handsome and talented and very smart, and you should not waste your time, uh, seeing this film and lowering your IQ by seeing it. Um, I, that's what we see these films for us to tell you that, uh, <laughs> Uh, don't do not bother with this film. It, it was just awful. I, I, I did not enjoy the, like I said, like I almost enjoyed Stanley Tucci, but I really didn't enjoy any part of this film. And it's just even even with him and it, it, it's not worth seeing. It's it's unfortunate. I give the film one and a half out of five stars. Uh, I, I think two is, is fine and it's fair, but I'm just not quite that feeling that generous. Um, and that's fair, too. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what I have to say about this film. I think that uh, I think that brings us to the end of our review of of Transformers and the uh, Transformium un- Unobtainium quest. <laughs> so I think you know I'm looking at the show notes now, and you have the two sections: the likes and the dislikes. Uh, I think what we should probably do is under likes, uh, just put a picture of Stanley Tucci's face, mm-hmm. and under dislikes, just a picture of the encyclopedia. 
and <laughs> that would probably about cover that it. That would about but, cover it, yeah. Well, I think TJ's touched on something, too. We could put under likes, like, a picture of Shia LaBeouf and just put, like, the <laughs> Ghostbusters thing over it. You know? <laughs> that would just about do it. Those are the two things I like about this film, is LaBeouf isn't in it, and uh, Stanley Tucci is. <laughs> well, yeah, there's all... No, no racist robots. That's a positive. <laughs> well, with that, let's uh, let's call this uh, episode a wrap. And uh, before we completely uh, sign out and and let the people have a little reprieve from our voices, uh, Clark, where may people find your wonderful work that you do on the internet and and otherwise? Uh, people may find some of my reviews as well as my podcast, The Sounds and Sights of Cinema, over at DVDVerdict.com. I'm one of a uh, large handful of writers over there reviewing DVDs and Blu-rays and such. And, uh, yeah, I write for a few other things here and there, but that's sort of the central hub for a lot of what I do. Okay. And, uh, uh, Fizz, I know that you actually just released, uh, just today, I believe, a podcast on how to train your dragon too, which I'm looking forward to listening to. I have not had a chance to listen to it, but, uh, I mean, you, you do good work over there and uh, people will want to know where they can find out about that. And you're a, a multi-talented person. So tell us about that. Well, I mean, I would love to tell you about how multi-talented I am. I'm glad you asked, TJ. If you would like to find out how multi-talented I am, you can go to realworldtheology.com. That's R-E-E-L worldtheology.com. We basically just do uh, thematic looks at movies uh, under the impression that people are going to see these movies and they're – they're affecting culture, whether people know it or not. So we're kind of looking, we're examining the narratives that are shaping that culture. Mm-hmm. So if that interests you, go to realworldtheology.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher for the podcast. You can follow me at Physification on Twitter, or you can follow the show at Real World Theo. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, I, I really appreciate TJ having me on. Yeah, it was fun to have both of you here. Uh, if you want to follow me and my work, uh, obviously I write at moviebyte.com. I just wrote a review of uh, Transformers Age of Extinction, which you can catch there at moviebyte.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro there. Uh, you can keep up with my witty and pithy little blurbs and things that I have to say. Uh, I'm sure I'm not a very popular person most of the time, but there you have it. Uh, especially the last couple of days. Uh, anyway, and so you can find uh, show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 95. Can you believe this is the 95th episode of the Movie Byte podcast? It's unbelievable. That's fantastic. Uh, we're, we're approaching episode 100. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I think we were both just telling you that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, okay. I thought I heard somebody saying something while I was talking. I, I tend to talk over people. It's a, it's a thing I do. So yeah, uh, you can find show notes for this episode there. Um, and be sure to drop by iTunes and give us a, a rating if you would be so inclined to do so. Uh, ratings help us to get discovered, and uh, that's what keeps the show going. So with that, next week we're going to be talking about um, uh, Earth to Echo, and we're going to have uh, a special guest on next week, uh, and we'll have a little more news on that front as well. Uh, in addition to Clark, who's covering for Chad, uh, we're going to have Joe Darnell on the podcast because he's, he's interested in talking about Earth Echo. So if nothing falls through, he'll be with us next week, and we're looking forward to having him back. And uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Earth Echo. I, I I feel like it could go either way, but I want to I want to say I want I want to find something good about this film. So um, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Clark? You think it'll be any good? I, I hope so. I mean, it kind of looks like ET light. Um, yeah. but, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, no. I'm optimistic. Yeah, me too. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. So be sure to see that film this weekend in preparation for that podcast next week. And, uh, we will catch you then. Thanks for being here guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.